Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. All right. So if you're wondering who I am, my name's Chris Carpenter. Um, if you're wondering where Aaron McCarter is, uh, uh, we're giving Aaron the Sunday morning off today. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Maryville Vineyard. Um, and along with discipling people about Jesus and talking uh, to people about their lives with Christ, God has given me a burden over my years as a pastor, over 20 years now as a pastor, he's given me a burden to share uh, with congregations, um, uh, congregations that I've had the privilege of being a pastor of. And so when I came onto staff here at Vineyard about 20 months ago, God had me bring this burden along with me. This is now the fourth church that I've been on staff with over these 20 years. Now, before I tell you what this burden is, I feel I have to say ahead of time that when I share this with you, I want you to take it the right way, all right? There's a wrong way of taking this, and there's a right way of taking this. The wrong way would be to hear you hear me say to you, you're doing this wrong, you need to change this, all right? That's not what I'm saying. That would be taking it the wrong way. And I say that because first and foremost, I don't think that this is happening the wrong way here. I, th- I think we are doing a good job in this. Secondly, it would just be really mean for me to say it that way to you guys. Um, but the right way to take it is this. We need to be cautious, as a church, in what I'm about to say. We need to be on our toes a little bit, all right? Really, we need to be on our knees in prayer about it. Because if we're not diligent in this manner, our church can fall into a certain way of thinking, okay? All right, so we're going to think the right way about this when I announce it, right? Right, right. Everybody shake their heads up and down. Okay, here we go. I want to share with you a disturbing trend that I do see in the church today. It's actually been happening for years and years now in the church. And if we aren't careful as a church body, we can be prone to fall right into it. Here it is. I wonder if we, as the church, still view the church as a family. Do we view the church, Maryville Vineyard, do we view this church body as a family? Now, in words, we might have a really quick answer to that question. We might say, well, of course. And if your first instinct, if the first thing that popped into your head, like, yes, we are a family. Sermon done. Let's go to Chili's. You know, then good for you. Then good for you. But, but, there's always a but. But do our actions, and especially our expressions of love toward one another, speak a yes for that answer as well. My concern is this, and I hope and I think that you will agree with what I'm about to say. We live in a culture and we live in a society today that is quite 
highly individualistic. And in fact, the church was meant not to be that way. The church, we were meant to be a team. We were meant to be a family. We were meant to be the family of God. Short story, uh, when I was back in my 20s and before I started coming on staff at churches, uh, so we're talking late 90s now, I was a tennis coach for three years at Oak Ridge High School. Now, if you know anything about the sport of tennis, you will know that it's a pretty individual type of sport. You got one person on one side of the net, one person on the other side of the net, and they're going up against one another. So it's skill versus skill. So you work on your own skills to try to improve your own abilities. And while you're doing that, you have one person in mind. And that's you. That's you. You can't worry about what the person on the other side of the net is doing or how good they are or anything like that. You can only worry about you and you can only try to improve you. So the hardest part of coaching high school tennis or college tennis or other individual type of sports is you have kids that are used to playing that individual sport, playing those individual matches, and thinking mainly of themselves because of that particular sport. And your job is to make them realize that they're actually a part of a team. They're actually a part of a team. Now, if you don't know anything about scoring in tennis, then just kind of skip over the next 30 seconds. This might confuse you, but hang with me. So it was my job to get these kids to understand that whether you won your match 6-0-6-0, which means you just blew your opponent out of the water, all right? Whether you won your match 6-0-6-0 or you won 7-6 in the third set, which is the closest match you could possibly have in tennis, you score one point for your team. And in a regular season match, it took five points for the team to win the match. In postseason, it took four points for you to win a match. So you could win your individual match, but the team could still lose. And then vice versa, same thing. You could lose your individual match, but your team could still win. Now, in hearing all this, it seems like it wouldn't be a hard stretch, right? for these players to understand the team concept. But it was actually quite hard for some of these guys and some of these ladies to get past themselves and start thinking more on a team level. To stop thinking what's best for them individually and start thinking what's best for the team. What can I do to help the team the most? So if Coach Carpenter is putting me in a doubles match with this person over here, but I really want to play with that person over there, then they need to understand, well, maybe he's made that decision for the betterment of the team, and I need to be okay with that. And if I lose a match, I don't need to go over here by my lonesome and sulk and feel sorry for myself. What I need to do is hightail it over to this other court where my teammate is still playing their match and cheer them on while they're still playing, all right? Any of this making sense? All right, it's, it's kind of the cliche thing, there's no I in team. And you might be surprised how difficult this is, but especially in our culture and society today, it is a difficult thing. I see this with a lot of sports these days, even team sports like basketball, football, baseball, softball. For some players, it's more about individual statistics 
And then when some players hit that superstar status, it's about breaking all the records, right? Breaking all those individual records. It's about making a name for yourself. Now, hear me. There is nothing wrong with trying to be the best that you can possibly be at, at what you're doing. But as we grow and as we get better at certain tasks, is our outlook how my life will be affected? Only. This is our culture in our society that we live in today, I believe. And it surrounds us everywhere we go. And it's a little bit scary because I see it seeping into the church. 20 plus years now in the church, and I've heard it and seen it so many times, the thoughts and the words, well, what is the church doing for me? What, what am I getting out of this church? And, it, and that sounds awful when you hear those words, and we really don't believe that we could be this way. But it can be that way if we're not careful. Now hear me. There is a place for every single one of us and every single one of you to grow individually in the church. To grow physically, mentally, spiritually in every way in the church. And we're all for that. We want that to happen in every single life. But does it ever go beyond the me? Does it ever go beyond us? as an individual. And so I want to go back to the scripture that I spoke over all of us this morning, that Ephesians 4, 11 through 14 scripture. I'm going to say it one more time. It says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. And there's a a huge reason as to why I wanted to read these verses over us all this morning, and it's because those verses are talking to and about all of us. Now, perhaps you've read these Ephesians 4 scripture before, and you've come across this passage. You might think to yourself, well, that's talking about the pastors of the church. Or maybe that's talking about the staff of the local church. But I want to encourage us by telling you this morning, these scriptures are talking about all of us. Every single one of us in the church. So to try to sum up Paul's words here, we are here to help one another grow. That's on all of us, on all of us. And so, are we looking at the church as though we're looking in a mirror or as we're looking through perhaps a window? Meaning, as we take a look at the church and why we are a part of the church, do we see the church like we're looking through a mirror, meaning we're only out to look at ourselves and, and the effect that the church has solely on us as an individual? Or do we see the church through the lens of a window where we see all of us and how we are to all grow together as a church body and as a family? Perspective is key when looking at the church. If we look at the Ephesians 4 scripture, the gifts that God gives to the church are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. My friends, that's us. 
That's describing all of us and the unique gifts that God has given to each of us. And those gifts are to be used for the betterment of the whole church body. There's a theologian, J.A. Allen, and he wrote a commentary on the book of Ephesians. It's called the Epistle to the Ephesians. And he said of these particular verses, they serve well to remind that the gifts of the Spirit are not for the enrichment of oneself, but for the enrichment of the church. So this script, these scriptures are not, uh, they're not labeling specific people, but they're speaking of the gifts that have been given to all of us throughout the church to then be used for the church to grow, to grow spiritually. Now, earlier this morning, I had you greet one another before the announcements. Do you remember who you maybe shook hands with or said good morning to? Did you already know who they were? Or were they brand new to you? Did you know your, their name? Or maybe you learned their name for the first time today. Maybe you've already forgotten that name. But let's put that encounter into perspective in seeing the church as a family. Because as the church, we are brothers and sisters with one another. And we've gathered here together at this particular time to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and, and to equip one another for the work of ministry and to build one another up, which means to minister to each other. And we do so, as the scripture tells us, in unity through our faith in Christ, in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And we do it to help one another grow and to mature and to not be swayed by false and evil messages and ways. My burden or my fear is we love to gather for worship. We love coming here on Sunday mornings and we love singing songs and we get to hear this awesome message. Awesome, awesome message, right? And we feel great when we leave about the fact that we came to church this morning. I feel good about myself. I did it. I got out of bed. I left the house. I got to church. I worshiped Jesus. It's been a full day. It's awesome. But are we missing out on an incredible call to build up and to minister to others along with this awesome opportunity to come together to worship? As a father and as a husband, I take um, my position in my immediate family very serious in leading my wife, Jean, and my daughter, Hannah. And when I say leading, I mean pointing them to Jesus and pointing them to his ways. Um, I take that uh, role and that position very serious in my family. And I will say with with all confidence, speaking for her, that Jean does the same as my wife and as the mother to Hannah. As one of the pastors on this staff, my hope is to continue to disciple you in the ways of Christ and his word. And to continuously point each and every one of you to Jesus and his ways. With the hope of raising disciples who will make more disciples, who will make more disciples, who will make more disciples. And as a member of the body of this church, I hope to be united together with each of you as a family. In our mission to join God in the renewal of all things. In our vision of walking with Jesus 
and loving our neighbor. Now, myself and my own growth are a part of that. And so is yours. But this call and this purpose goes beyond me and speaks to how I'm to minister to all of us because we're the family of God. And as I get to minister to you, I have the privilege of you ministering into my life as well. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. Now, that's my motivating speech. That's my let's get out there and play hard, don't sit on the sideline, locker room pregame motivator, all right? We're a family. Are you pumped about that? Oh, you people are still just so quiet. Man, no. How are we, though, to really play this out as a team and a family? Because, honestly, we're still living in this individualistic culture and society. You walk out these doors this morning, and it's going to hit you smack dab in the face. Its message is smashing up against our lives each and every day. It keeps knocking on the doors of this church again and again and again. It's trying to reach its way in. It's telling us things like just focus on yourselves. You're number one. Focus solely on number one. Put yourself first. Even with the church, well, what am I getting out of this? You know, how, does, how did that message speak for my life? today. And like I said before, yes, that's a part of it. But it goes beyond that. And so what's the game plan? What's the game plan to live and to minister together as a family? If you haven't realized it by now, I'm, I love sports metaphors. I'm a sports junkie. If you're not into sports, I apologize this morning. It's just who I am. But for our game plan for this, I want to take us to Romans chapter 12 this morning. And our wonderful Aaron Wright did this great slide uh, for me. It's really awesome video slide. So I'm simply going to read through Romans 12. Now, my timing's probably going to be way off on this, uh, but let's see how, our, how it goes. This is our game plan. I want you to re- imagine that we're in a locker room right now, and the Apostle Paul is before us, and he's given us the game plan of how we should be living together as a family. Here we go. You have Romans 12, verse 1, which tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're going to talk about this particular uh, verse more here in a moment. We have Romans 12, 2, that says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It also tells us that we should be discerning as to what is the will of God. Verse 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think as well. It tells us uh, to have sober judgment. Verse 5, be members one of another. Verse 6, let us use the gifts given according to grace. Verse 9, let, us love, let our love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. 10, love one another with brotherly affection. And then I love this part, outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. 14, bless those who persecute you. 15, 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. It also tells us do not be wise in your own sight. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to what is honorable. 18, live peaceably with all. 19, never avenge yourselves. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. And then finally, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I know that was a lot in a very short amount of time. And in actuality, the picture continues beyond chapter 12. I would encourage you to open up the scriptures, go to Romans 12. You can go beyond that. Go to Romans 13 and beyond. It keeps talking about that. But for the sake of time, I'm going to stop there this morning. This is how we are to live together as the family of God. It's a pretty complex game plan if you look at all of this. So complex that if we try to go about living it all by ourselves as an individual, good luck. Good luck. But as a team and as a family, as the family of God, we can build one another up and we can encourage one another and we can live this way together. Now, I want to take a look at the very first verse of this in particular. All right, Romans 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Living the Christian life is living a life of sacrifice. Our gift and appreciation for what Christ has done through us, through his sacrifice on the cross. It's to sacrifice our own lives, first and foremost, for the glory of God, and then also for the sake of others as well. And it's through each of our own sacrifice of our lives that we as the family of God will then be united in our calling and our purpose as the church. When the family of God lives sacrificially. This is then where we see pictures of the early church come to fruition still today, where the church comes together, they're sharing their possessions, they're helping those in need, we're taking care of the widows and the orphans as scripture speaks, the older are speaking into the younger's lives, the Holy Spirit is showing up and showing out, People are being healed all over the place where we are helping to take care of those who have experienced loss. These things are happening when we're willing to sacrifice our own lives for the glory of God and for the sake of others. The church, the family of God are the hands and feet for those who are hurting. It's a part of being the family of God. And so I just want to encourage each of us this morning Let's not limit ourselves to only seeing the church as a place where we go and it's just about me. But instead, let's see the numerous opportunities that God gives each and every one of us to grow together, to speak into each other's lives. 
Now, first and foremost, we do this through discipleship relationships. And if you're not a part of a community group or a core group or any kind of discipleship relationship, even if it's one-on-one, where someone's speaking into your life and you're speaking into somebody else's lives, I would encourage you to try to find those relationships. And if you don't know how to go about doing that, or maybe you're newer to the church and you really just don't know anybody in the church, well, this is what our staff is all about here at Maryville Vineyard. We want to help you engage into these discipleship relationships. So if you're having a hard time doing that, come talk to any of us. Honestly, Natasha and I and others, we can't get enough of doing this. We love doing this, bringing people together to build one another up and to minister to each other. And it's this picture that if, as you are continuously being equipped in your own lives, you are also there to help equip others. That's the picture of family life, being there for one another, helping each other grow, building one another up, using the gifts God has given you for the betterment of the kingdom. Amen? It involves every single one of us. It's not just for a particular few. We're all a part of the family. So last thing, and this is really Chris Carpenter opinion. It might have some scripture rolled in a little bit here, but this is just my encouragement to you. I want to give you four family life things. It's talking about us as the church. Four family life things that I want to encourage us to do as a church family. By the way, there's a plethora more than just four. For the sake of time this morning, I'm only giving us four. Here we go. Number one, check in on someone from the family each and every day. Every single day, we should be taking the time to check in on one another. It could be the same person again and again and again. It could be random people within the family. But we need to be checking in on someone. It could be a phone call. It could be a text message. It could be a knock on a door. I'm a part of a four-guy core group that meets every other Thursday morning really, really early. And so we meet every 14 days, but I'm telling you, uh, when we're not meeting, pretty much every single day, the four of us are checking in on one another. How can we be praying for you today? How did this go for you yesterday? We, we, we know things that are happening in each other's lives, and we're there for one another. And it is so encouraging to get those text messages to get that phone call, to know that there are others out there praying for you on a daily basis, that that you know that there are others that are not only speaking into your lives, but um, you can speak into theirs as well. So check in on someone from the family each and every day. Number two, meet someone new in the family each week. Uh Uh-oh, got to meet somebody new? You're asking me to do that? I'm asking you to do that. Part of the reasoning behind as to why we started greeting one another on Sundays. Meet someone new. Make each other feel welcome. Be on the lookout for folks that are, might be new to the church, that you haven't seen before, that you've forgotten their name for the 10th time. You really need to f- figure out the name on the 11th time. Here's the thing. It's really easy to keep those we know and kind of have our holy huddle kind of thing. We'll just we'll kind of keep 
to our own family and those who we know really, really well. But I want to encourage us, venture out a little bit. Meet someone new. Third thing, open up your home. Be hospitable. Might mean you have to clean up your house every once in a while. That's, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But believe me, God gave us our homes not solely for ourselves. But he gave us our homes to be hospitable to others. And then finally, this might be the hardest of the four. Invite others in. Here's a truth that I don't think we think a lot about. There are people that either we know them or we don't, but there are people out there in our lives in some way that are just waiting for an invitation from someone. It might be an invitation to lunch. It might be an invitation to, into your home. It might be an invitation into the church. They're not just going to walk in on their own. They're waiting for someone to invite them in. So let's be a church family that longs to invite, that has lips of invitation, as I like to say it, and brings others into the family. I've shared this before. That's how I started attending the church, how it eventually led me to follow Jesus. I was a college student at UT. My father would call me every Friday. Hey, I'm going to church on Sunday. You're welcome to come with me. And I tell you right now, there were so many weeks where I said no. And so many weeks that, where I said to him, I can't do it this week. And he never stopped inviting me again and again and again. And I think as a church, we're, we're really, really good at inviting someone once. So we invite them, and if they say no, we don't invite them anymore. Well, they said no, that was their answer, and we let them go. We need to invite them again and again and again and a fifth time, and a tenth time, and a fiftieth time if we have to. And if we're going to start sounding like a broken record to them and get on their nerves, that's a good thing. Because here's what happens more than not. You would be surprised about this, but here's what happens more than not. I'm tangenting off now, so forgive me. When, you, when you're the, that broken record and you keep inviting so many times, this is what happens most times. Eventually you're like, well, fine, I'll go with you then. If you're going to bother me about this so much, then I'll go. And then they come, and we got them. Because the love here is awesome. And they're like, oh, this is what you were inviting me to the whole time? Yeah. Yeah, it only took 50 times to get you here. But we got you here. So it's a really awesome thing. So keep inviting. Keep inviting. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up on the stage to lead us in a time of worship, but um, I want to lead us first into Selah. Um, we're just going to ponder what this really means for us this morning. I've said uh, time and again, my favorite Christian artist is a guy named Andrew Peterson. I've loved his music for like 30 years now. And one of my favorite songs is actually one of his older songs that he wrote, and it's called Family Man. And I want to share with you some of the lyrics uh, this morning of this song because I think it speaks into what I'm saying here today. Now, this song is actually written about a man who goes from single life 
into married life and then eventually into having a child so it goes into family life as well. And so there are verses to this song that say something like, I am a family man, I traded in my Mustang for a minivan. All right? And he also says, I am a family man saving my vacation time for Disneyland. If you have kids, you know what that's all about. Right? But one of the choruses says this, and I, I think it not only speaks to how someone might move individually from a single life into married and family life, but it can also speak as to how an individual starts thinking of the church as a family. And it says this, but I don't remember anymore who I even was before because you filled me up with love. You filled me up with love and you helped me stand because I am a family man. And I believe these verses also speak towards how the church ministers to one another. I can testify to you that my life has been so greatly affected by being a part of this church family for 20 months. You all, my church family, has ministered to me and has ministered to my wife and my kid in so many, so many ways. And I hope to be able to get to do the same for you as well. Peterson then ends the song by saying, this is not what I was headed for when I began. And it was not my plan. It's so much better than. It's so much better than. My friends, living life within the family of God, for God and for that family, the church, it's so much better than any life we could have that we could live where it's only about the me. It's only about us. And so as we go into Selah, I just want us to take a moment first to just thank God for bringing us into his family, for giving us this church to come and be a part of and to serve one another in. And then second, in thankfulness for this family. Because we are a family together. We're here for each other. We're here to serve one another. And so I hope if you get anything out of this morning, I hope it's this. I hope it's that our perspective, when we view the church, this is our family. This is our family. So let's take a moment to remember, pray into these things. And then as a family, we're going to worship together.